Hi folks, welcome to the third episode of our Disco Elysium Final Cut Splitter series. I'm Christian Haynes, Managing Editor of Gamers with Glasses, and I'm happy to be joined by our Managing Editor, Roger Whitson. Hi. And by Jamie Woodcock, author of Marks at the Arcade. Hi. So this is the spoiler cast, and it's the last episode of our spoiler cast series on Disco Elysium, which means we will be talking about the game in its entirety all the way through its conclusion, not just mechanics, so fair warning. Why don't we just go ahead and dig in? And maybe one of the first things that we could talk about, just to kind of get into some of the details of how we played, is did people feel like their character builds stayed the same throughout their play? of the game or did they veer in different directions? And maybe you can remind our audience a little bit about how you've been playing the game. Uh, Jamie, you want to start us off? Yeah, so I started off, I, I think I put points into empathy because I thought, you know, I'm going to go in to this dispute and I'm going to work through it and I'm going to find a solution. And, you know, he's going to play the organizer role, right? He's going to go in, he's going to see what happens. I, I feel like I didn't really use empathy at all um it felt like yeah i kind of i was looking back at the end of the game and thinking that wasn't the right the right place to put a load of points um and inland empire which we discussed in the first one which i think was worth every point that was put into it why would you um, say that just the dialogue choices and the the things that you kind of get yourself into i just i felt like it filled out the story in bizarre and unpredictable ways right Mm-hmm. Um, uh, remind me the Inland Empire. Like, what exactly does that represent? Because I mean, I guess you, I guess we always have that kind of thing with a lot of these attributes, right? Like, what exactly am I am I keying into here with Inland Empire? I'm not sure. I know how to categorize it. Um, <laughs> there's a kind of surrealist element to it. Um, yeah, there's a kind of surrealist element to it. And I, I think because it was an unpredictable characteristic, it felt like it was enjoyable to put more points into it and kind of see see where it would would kind of go next. Um, and the problem I had was, was refusing to put any points into authority for my playthrough, uh, which, yeah, caused some issues later on in the game. Um, as there are, some, there's a fairly important authority check, right? Inland Empire is a funny one. I I also dropped points into that, and it, you know, uh, it has that surreal quality. I think the game describes it as dreaming and waking life or something at one point. Uh, It's very much the Agent Dale Cooper vibes in Twin Peaks of, I don't remember that moment, I think in the first season where he's like trying to use some kinds of words or something to like direct him in the case and figure out the mystery. And so it's very much you also get hunches from it. And there are moments where it will like nudge you in a certain direction in the game towards elements of the mystery, which is helpful. Um, but it's not straightforwardly helpful, I don't think. I think it's, I think it's, oh, go ahead, Jamie, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I kind of had a bit of a problem with the, the playing through the final bit is I tried to avoid the authority check with Titus because I didn't want to do anything authority-based. And I got really quite confused about what to do next and forgot that there was an authority check with Titus and spent quite a long time going around, finishing side quests, and thinking, <laughs> what on earth am I doing? Um, I have no, and then it, it kind of dawned on me that there was that check that I'd missed. You know, you can kind of see all the, 
the missed checks and ones you can go back to. Um, so my playthrough kind of, yeah, I'm really pleased that we're doing the podcast because I don't know if I necessarily would have come back to figure it out otherwise. I just felt a bit kind of, I don't know where I'm going with this. And then suddenly everything clicks into place when you do that check, right? Yeah. I feel like um, it's interesting, and Jamie, because like I had, I think this this game does really an, a really interesting job of like playing with our own uh, sense of the kinds of characters we want to be versus the characters you know. Like I could be this jerk, jerk cop and like play out that role. It's just a game. It's not like really who I am, but I want to be a communist because. That's the person, that's my sort of, I don't know, the person I'd like to be, right? This kind of ideal ego kind of thing going on. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I feel like a lot of what's interesting about this game is about the compromises you make for the sake of moving the story along and then the way in which it sort of puts out those compromises, which oftentimes I feel like are shortcuts in a way. Right. And not shortcuts in a kind of negative sense necessarily, but in the sense of like, you know, authority, for example, right? If you use authority, I think you can actually cut through a lot of the chaff in the game, right? You can cut through the sort of blurrier parts of the mystery more easily. The mystery here being just to remind folks a murder case that then sort of expands into a political conflict between a shipping company and a union, but also more generally between the police in Revachol and a kind of history of revolution and of communards um, earlier in the century that you're set in. And uh, I had a, I had a really interesting moment in the very beginning, very beginning of the game where you're clearly struggling to get money and you can like, you can play a bit with becoming a corrupt cop by like shaking people down with money for money. And I didn't want to do it. Like I didn't want to do it. And then, and then later on in the game, I was really thinking about what's going on here and, and how this game thinks about corruption, what police corruption or what corruption is and how this game kind of, I think in some ways, um, uses this, this idea of corruption to really question kind of the political way in which, uh, the way in which I think, um, money and power are political instead of necessarily ethical like we often think of like i am this person i should not do this thing um, without considering sort of the broader political implications of the things that we're doing and i think that was the first time in this game where that type of that type of uh dilemma uh sort of struck me where i was like really i had i was like i had the bag and i was looking for money and um, it seemed really pathetic, and I also didn't want to shake people down. And then I was like, "Oh, what is going on here?" Kind yeah. of, kind of thing. So, to be clear, and to make sure our audience is clear, so like you have a decision almost at the beginning. I would say if you kind of follow a relatively obvious route between basically like finding bottles on the side of the street in order to get money and just recycling. <laughs> at the local uh, convenience store, or on the oh. other hand, just basically like asking for handouts from everybody. And really like, because you're in a position of authority, whether or not you like it, basically maybe shaking people down in some cases. Yeah. And yeah. the first option though is like the shipping 
uh, company representative um, and or one of the first. I guess you could have other first options there. And she'll say yes. You know, I played this game. This is my second time playing it. The first time I played it as a kind of like, I think like you were playing a Jamie too, is sort of Inland Empire, Kami <laughs> organizing sort of uh, activist cop. And feel um, as incongruous that as that might be, and this time I just went full blown ultra liberal, as the game calls it, which is you know basically their neoliberal position, uh, but also just kind of a hustler, uh, sort of like a cutthroat or maybe cut rate uh, entrepreneur. And so I was just constantly asking people for money. If there was the option <laughs> to ask people for money, I asked. Um, and I'll get into this later, but by the end of the game, not only did I have quite a bit of just a regular currency in the game, but another game mechanic was introduced where I actually had capital and stock. Uh, and I had like presumably hundreds of thousands of... You know, the game's equivalent of dollars and capital, uh, which is all about having opened up the cargo <clears throat> container. Uh, because inside of the cargo container at the shipyard, if you are able to open it, is an entrepreneur, a famous capitalist who is immersed in light bending technology for some reason. <laughs> and he says he's so rich and famous that the only way he can get a break uh, from the mobs and from everyday life is by just being shipped around the world in containers um <laughs> but i was able to convince him to buy a piece of art off of me you know a piece of art made by uh cindy um and i sold it to him for lots of money and then stock options uh <laughs> and then i used the stock options in the pawn shop to get that light that costs like 600 in currency or whatever and i used it for other stuff too just like randomly selling stock options to people and promising uh, that I'm sure the stock price would go up in the near future. Sounds like a totally different game than the one that I played. Which right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, the I was thinking about this when I finished playing, is those some of those decisions, and, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Roger, about the, you know, like ultimately the authority check is about you being a cop, right? And you have to be a cop, and it pushes you to do some things that might not fit with your playthrough or whatever but i'm trying to think back to a game that has bothered me as much as this one in kind of the choices you've made and the direction it's gone in and i can't really think of the last game that's left not bothered so much as like i had a bad time playing but kind of coming back to think about it afterwards and thinking yeah i didn't realize there was a light bending entrepreneur i could flog art to in the container but thinking about some of those choices and where it could have gone and how the build went and so on is there is a real thing about like there's a lot of I felt like I had a lot of failure in my playthrough that kind of shaped it in different ways and you know there's lots of not good options that you have to to take right it's like kind of not afraid to be quite pushy with the player you know and I think there's two things there that are worth talking about that I think could be sort of legitimately frustrating in the game, which is one I think you were getting at earlier. There are uh, act transitions, essentially. Like, a game doesn't explicitly say act one done, now act two. But it comes close mechanically to having choke points between acts that are often either an authority check or some other kind of an endurance check in one case that can also be sort of bypassed in other ways. 
And I think one of the things that can be frustrating is the game does give you options for uh, knowing what those choke points are. Uh, like you said, you were able to go through the UI, the, the sort of menus and say, oh, this is probably the checkpoint or the you know skill check I need to pass. But let's be honest, the UI in this game is a bit of a mess and smacks of like needing some fine tuning and maybe needing one or two dedicated UI developers with more experience than whoever did this UI, um, which it is one of the worst, I think, quest-based UI systems I've seen in a while. Um, so there's that. But the other aspect is there's a lot of skill checks that happen behind the scenes that modify other skill checks, right? So the authority check, like I think my authority was zero by the end of the game, or maybe even one. So I was like somehow sad sack, like psychedelic ingesting druggy entrepreneur. Um, I was not like authoritative <laughs> John Hamm and Mad Men style, you know, authority, you know, entrepreneur. Um, but you, I could still get past that, but I had to do a bunch of other little things to the side in order to kind of like swirl back to that in a way that would work. Um, and the game's not always clear on that. And so you just kind of have to grope blindly a little bit. Yeah. But I think that kind of fits. So uh, yeah, the UI, clearly there are some issues with it, right? But I do also feel like given your character wakes up in a total mess and can't remember anything, there's a certain appeal to the fact, not that you have to fight the UI, but the things don't make total sense. Like I found, for example, trying to put on different clothes to get skill points up high enough to do things like a totally bewildering experience, right? Because it doesn't sort the clothes at all and you have to kind of go back through. And every time I did it, I thought, wow, this is like when you're really hungover and you're trying to get dressed and you're like looking through your cupboard and <laughs> you, know, you don't know where your other shoes are. Or There's a, there's a certain kind of, appeal to it not being so straightforward right like the guy's a mess right yeah no and it, i absolutely agree and everything i mean the art style sort of lends itself to that the kind of you know almost smudgy art style reminiscent of like a planescape torment or something like that where sometimes it's a little bit difficult to make out certain details but it but it works, right? It, I mean, it contributes to some confusion or frustration if you're playing on console like I was um, for the second playthrough. And I don't recommend that anybody really do that. It's definitely better with a mouse and keyboard for me, at least. Um, but it also lends itself to, oh, like, I'm going to find this thing in the grass here. And you can press tab or press a button to make things highlighted. And I think that's a good feature. Uh, but it, you still get that sense of you're picking things out like a detective in some way, right? It is a kind of detective vision mechanic when you highlight things um, that we've become familiar with in a lot of different games uh, as yeah. well as in classic role-playing games. So. I played it, I mean, I played it on the PlayStation 4, so I had to play, I could not click, uh, which was frustrating because I, I originally, so basically I played the first few minutes of it last year when it first came out for the the macbook or for ios sorry um and i only got through kind of like the very first few minutes because i didn't quite it, it's like one of those games this is like one of those games that change what you think about games i think 
in a lot of ways. And so the first time I played it, with a lot of games like this that do that for me, I it takes me two or three times of like kind of sitting down and kind of rewiring my brain for what to expect and actually getting through it before I can do that. So like the first time I played it, it was on the OS and I actually had a point and click system and it was okay. But I did notice, um, yeah, like that uh, being on the PlayStation 4 was a lot, it was a lot more difficult to navigate the space um, just with the controller that the PlayStation 4. Yeah. I will say kudos to the developer for the just sheer level of accessibility of this game, uh, which is to say they've put it on every OS that they can, they've put it on every console. They've really, I think, gone above board to make this game accessible. It's been on sale a lot. Um, And so, you know, short of it being uh, freeware, I think they did a really pretty impressive job of getting it out there. Um, It's one of those games that you want to talk to people about, you know, like you want everyone to play and you want to know how people reacted to certain things. And that's, that's something that's pretty powerful about it. Absolutely. And, and maybe that brings us to like a good moment to talk about what to me is maybe the central question that I'm left with when I'm playing this, you know, for the second time, which is, would you say that this game has a political perspective that it steers you towards? Does it have a kind of critical dimension or is it more like, I mean, I, is it more of a kind of like play space in which you can test out different political perspectives I guess that's what I'm wondering. And then is there a danger in that? Do you feel like the story sort of resolved itself in a way that makes a kind of point, something we'd, you know, maybe call a message? What do folks think? I think that's a really interesting question, Christian, really quickly, because there have been pieces out that have accused this this game of ultimately being a centrist game. Right. Or of like being kind of a, in a way, like a neoliberal kind of game where it's like we can absorb all perspectives and present them. And ultimately, you know, we're just in this world and you can be whatever type of person you want to be. But, you know, this is a lot of these, a lot of these think pieces have said that, you know, if you consider it as a game in and of itself, ultimately it's kind of a centrist game that, you know, re creates its own ideological kind of space in a way. So So I haven't read any of these critiques because, yeah, I guess partly because I'm still trying to figure it out, out myself in a way. And I think, so really bluntly, I think there are two kinds of political games. There are like big P political games that, you know, like a, communist simulator or like you know we had a couple of games around the last election in the uk that were just like propaganda for the election right um and i don't think these are terribly interesting um because like a small section of people who are already on board play them and talk about them this for me is a real example of like a small p political game of it's not i don't think it's a centrist game i don't particularly think it's like a far left game I think it is a game about the complexities of politics, right? Um, and I think 
the one thing I'd be really interested to ask the developers is like, why did you make the main character a cop? Um, because I think that it feels to me like something that it's part of the like tropes of a game like this to be a cop and to, to be a detective and so on. But I also feel like part of it is a challenge to people. I think we spoke about this in one of the other episodes, right? Of like, what does it mean to be a cop, to play a cop? Because in a way, it's not like he's, you know, NYPD or or the London Met Police. You know, he's a kind of... A, there's a, you get a weird bit of the history of like he's part of the militia that comes out of it and then he kind of ends up being a cop and he can take bribes and so on is you know i think the game is challenging politically rather than having like a particular politics right um which i think goes back to what you're saying roger like i want to talk to people about this game because it's a moment to talk politics right like, what did you think of this? How does this challenge you? Or, or how do you make sense of it? Which I think is way more interesting than like a political game, you know? Yeah, I mean, I it's, think, it's... Um, go ahead, go ahead, Christian. I was just going to say, I mean, this sort of harks back a little bit to a conversation we were having in our last uh, episode of the Gamers with Glasses show, where we were talking about like, what do we mean when we say games political? Or when we say all games are political, um, sort of conversation that's been happening in games journals and a lot. And I think a lot of the times there's so much frustration about the way in which especially larger studios eschew sort of any identification with political content that the kind of response from reviewers in particular and other games journalists and critics is to say, okay, well, we need this game to have a message or a specific position that you know, as you were putting it, Jamie, I think nicely that like capitalized P politics um, because it's identifiable then and there's no question of like bad faith. Whereas a game like this, you know, it doesn't offer you that neat position or message. I don't think even as I think it does maybe push you in certain directions at times or at least test you or challenge you in certain ways uh, that are undeniably political, whether it's dealing with the kind of fallout of a revolution and the socialist history um, and how you interpret uh, the so-called failure of revolution um, or just being a cop, right? Which may just be a genre decision, but also on the other hand is kind of, I mean, I feel like the game saying to you, you don't get any clean hands uh, space here. There's no way of getting completely out of complicity here, no matter what your hands are gonna be dirty by the end of this game, which is really brought home by the ending of the game and finding out that like situations like this have been recurring, right? You've been blacking out drunk and your, you know, crew mm. of cops that you're leading have been bailing you out. Yeah. You, it turns out you're heading up this special crimes unit. Uh, and, you know, probably this crime, special crimes unit has gotten into trouble occasionally, has gotten their hands dirty in various ways, but also seems to be kind of successful and that you just keep messing up and you keep, getting dragged into the gutter as it were. Roger, sorry, why don't you jump in? No, there? no, I think it's really, and this is, a, I think, another way. I think the cop is used as sort of the, the idea that you're playing a cop is used as a pivot uh, to sort of explore the relationship between personal psychology and politics in this game. And so one of the ways that I just kept thinking about it is through kind of, um, you know, I teach often in my in my victorian classes i'll teach like sherlock holmes or um you know victorian detective fiction and it's always fascinating to me how much that genre emerged in this moment of 
you know, uh, where people were becoming more and more fascinated by personal psychology. Like they're becoming fascinated. And I think you see this in, even in, you know, just sort of the basic cop show, procedural cop shows that you see today, um, where it's really about finding out about these individuals who would do things like kill other people. What type of person would do that? And what sorts of bizarre states of psychology, I mean, especially when you're talking about serial killers, what kinds of strange psychological states would you have to be in to actually do this to another human being? Like this is a sort of like cultural narrative behind a lot of Victorian detective fiction. Um, and it and it ultimately plays, I think, the role of really sort of like describing what is normative behavior and what isn't, right? And I see this game as really uh, challenging that that paradigm in a pretty radical way um, because you are the cop, right? And it becomes like this kind of, I mean, you start out, you're drunk, you're having these blackouts, the whole game is about how uh, you know you're the you're the problem in a lot of ways, right? Um, and it and it uses that kind of positionality to open up to this broader question about what does it mean to uh, uh, what is it you know what do all these political positions mean? How are they integrated into um, you know? How are they integrated into the space? Um, what does it mean to live in this space? Um, you know, a lot of these questions, I think, come out in the third, especially the third part of the game, I think, in really interesting ways. Um, and so I think it's really sort of a lot of ways challenging kind of the mystery genre or the police procedural in some pretty, really pretty interesting ways. But using that ultimately and using our own, I think, maybe our own uh, our own discomfort with playing a cop as a means of showing our complicity in these political structures too. So it's like, it's, it, it's just doing a lot of really interesting things to kind of the sort of standard police procedural that I think are fascinating in that regard. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, in a certain way, the body, the game starts out with, right? The body hanging from the tree becomes more like I don't want to say an alibi because that's a loaded term, but mm. an excuse, I suppose, an excuse for exploring Martinez district in Revishol, in which the kind of like baseline assumption is like cops are bad. Cops are there to get you. Cops are holding up power structures that have kept this specific part of the city down, right? That have kept it poor, that have kept it run down. The part of the city that, of course, was identified with the communards with the revolutionaries um, from a previous moment, um, even if not everybody right. in, it's a revolutionary. Uh, and so it does, I think it becomes this like sort of device almost to just get at the way in which this part of the city becomes a kind of like crystallization of histories of political struggle, of the results of different positions, but also just of like the results of capital accumulation, right? The results, that capitalism has and the way in which capitalism requires these sort of repeated bouts of dispossession, of taking things away from people, of exploitation, 
Um, I mean, that's why there is the like strike and the scabs and everything at the heart of the story as well. Uh, and it's very, it's pretty difficult not to encounter that almost right away, right? Like you off, I feel like in this game, it sort of pushes you towards from the beginning. Like you start, you find the body and the murderer after you wake up drunk, right? Hung over. And then you find like the strike, you know, and then you have to put things together from there and it kind of expands out from there. I also think, you know, there's what I have, what I found particularly compelling about the game is as someone who is kind of an ethnographer in their day job, there's a real, there's an attention to detail in the surroundings of the district, of the way people interact, of the like idiosyncrasies of life, right? Of which part of that you, you know, you can find out bits about the gentrification of the north of the district and tensions over this or that or so on. Is I'm going to slightly wheel back on what I said earlier. Is that like the game? There is there. You can find bits of politics everywhere in the game, right? But they don't say this is the political bit, or you know. But you get a sense that the world hangs together not only in a like this is the capital city, therefore it's bigger than other places, but are like. This has been shaped and reshaped by different forces, both large and small, personal and like economic, which I found really like I found really compelling, um, which you don't often get elsewhere. Right? There's a kind of I kind of feel like the people who have written bits of the story and designed things have really paid attention to the world around them when they're thinking about politics and how everything's messy and nothing's clear cut in a way that, you know, politics is so often black and white in games, right? There's like the moral choice, the the renegade choice or whatever it is, whereas this is just kind of like everything is messy and complicated, um, which I really kind of felt one of the bits that I, I kept kind of thinking back to is the bit where you can try and join the communist club. Um, and I never managed to pass <laughs> the skill checks, right? And, you know, the Communist Club is these two students who, like, quiz you on small fractional differences in Mazovian thought, which is the kind of stand-in for, for, for Marxism in the game. But there's, like, such kind of knowing critiques, right, of these, like, self-righteous post-grad students who don't want the <laughs> cop to come, but they, like, won't tell him that he can't come to their Communist Club. Instead, they're, like you know what's your position on this obscure bit of left-wing ideology and come back when you've read enough there's some you know these kind of like knowing clever moments where you kind of think this is really interestingly written right yeah yeah i i'm reminded um going back to the discussion about um skills i'm reminded both of the annoying moment the shiver moment i don't know where you have to pass the shiver check yeah, this is in the um, old uh, computer, radio computer manufacturing uh, warehouse or building on uh, the kind of shoreline area. Right. And to get your shiver skill up, if I'm remembering correctly, you have to visit specific spaces and you have to do certain uh, quests. Or you can right? just do is a bunch correct? of drugs and get experience points other ways. <laughs> like my, my gameplay loop was getting a skill where every time I said anything remotely capitalist, I got money and experience. 
And so you, I you just totally kept saying capitalist things and kept getting more money and more points. And then I would do drugs to raise my skill caps on, I think it was Motorix, right? <laughs> or whatever. And then I just kept bumping up shivers and a few other things just to make sure I passed skill checks. You're so but good yeah. at the neoliberal game. You know, yeah, if, if you're going to play a neoliberal, you got to get your game theory on. I guess so. Um, but it, it reminded me quite a bit of like uh, psychogeography. I don't know if you know, y'all are familiar with, the, with this term, um, but like this whole idea that there are layers of experience that are sort of concretized in different parts of the city. And that in order to understand the history of a space, it's not, it's not just about, you know, reading reading the history. It's about actually exploring and getting kind of a, it's almost like a psychic kind of element to the city, right? Like the sort of, the sort of, sort of psychic leftovers of the suffering that people experienced or, or, uh, you know, the political struggles that go on or, or the way that the city itself is designed to, uh, uh, sort of sort of create sort of uh manipulate its populace in various ways right and i and i really felt like it, it was just really interesting to kind of get a sense of like that that whole moment where you're supposed where you have to you have to like win you have to pass that skill check or you can't go forward it was almost as if like the the and 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 i read a lot i actually read a lot of uh forums describing it and and a lot of the people playing the game were really annoyed with it and other people were saying well it makes sense doesn't it like because you really have to know Revenshaw in order to in order to get to this part of the game um it was just a really fascinating moment in terms of trying this 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 game once again sort of questioning what it what it means to have a role-playing game what it what does it mean to inhabit the space what is it that you're actually doing in this game to like, what's the story of this game? Right. Like, and um, I think it's just, it's just a really fascinating moment. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, that's the moment where if you, when you do pass or one of the ways you pass, I think, you know, you're supposedly teleport to the top of the building. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, I did it. <laughs> and Kim, you know, you're the Lieutenant partner, Kim Katsura guy just says i just watched you climb the ladder <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's like one of those moments where you it's just like you know i, I compared it to like agent del cooper but it's agent del cooper with no suave right it's like yeah yeah you know he's actually not pulling these things off he's just stumbling around which you know you were talking about psychogeography roger and it made me think of you did know, two things one is like i the psychogeography you were talking about, like there's two versions, right? There's like the Marxist version that comes out of France right. in the 60s. Right. And then there's the like- Situationist. The, yeah, and there's like the British version, like a little bit later on, you yeah, know, the mystical, mystifi- the, the mystical version, yeah. right? And it's yeah. not like, yeah. that's a little limited, but you know, there's like Ian Sinclair versus Guy Debord or something. Um, right. You know, sort of different poles of this, but both of them have in common that notion of like the derive, right? Like wandering around the city in a way that like interrupts the flow of the city that's supposed to push you towards a certain direction, right? With the idea mm-hmm. that like you were saying, like the history of capitalism, the history of empire or colonialism or imperialism, like cements or like crystallizes certain paths that people take. So like one of the situations these practices would literally be 
to go during rush hour, like in a city and go against the flow of traffic, right? Uh, just like on foot, you know? Like, you know, when everybody's trying to go down uh, into the Metro, you're trying to go up, right? And just to kind of break things up a little bit and experience So like people friction. did this, right? Yeah, I want to yeah. see that. I want to see people do it. I've never, yeah, like I've read a lot about it, but I'm not actually seeing a derive going against yeah and i think this is a simulator for that though right like because in a way like the one thing your character can't really do is kind of go with the flow of things Mm. i mean i'm sure there's probably a run you could do where you're mostly emphasizing authority and a few other skills uh where you sort of doing that but it does feel like the game sort of has you kind of like careening around and swerving between characters in a way where like you're not doing cop business normally. You're not doing business or work normally. You're either hustling or confusedly mm-hmm. kind of drifting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I wanted to talk about the phasmid. I don't know how. The insulid phasmid, right? Yeah. So yeah. Be- be- before we get to the phasmid, the, yeah. the bit after the shivers check, I... This was the beginning. I felt like that drifting and pinballing around really got to its high point for me after that. Um, and I just kind of thought, I wonder, I have like no idea where this is going now. There's like a hidden killer. She hits you with white noise. Like, <laughs> I think I like just about managed to knock over the machine. And then there was a skills check to talk her down from killing herself. And I failed it. And she, I she totally committed suicide in front of me. And I just thought, part of me was like, I want to reload. Another part was just like, I don't even know whether, like, could I have done anything right. better there? It kind of, yeah, he, he was really leading into his, like, depressive moment, my character in that bit. It was just kind of, of course she's killed herself. You know, this is... All yeah. of which, by the way, and I think this is maybe something to talk about the overall narrative structure, all of which was essentially a red herring. Yeah. Right, all, all of that, like the mm-hmm. industrial mm-hmm. espionage from Katya, uh, finally tracking down the mysterious additional member of uh, the union club, uh, the name of which I'm forgetting at the moment. Uh, and Hardy Boys, yeah, the Hardy Boys, like all mm. of that. Uh, all of that was a gigantic red herring, right? All of that mm-hmm. was essentially. Mm-hmm aside you know it mm-hmm. gets you to where you need to go but at the end of the day right what happened is that a revolutionary who is sort of left over from the revolutionary moment and has been just kind of like in hiding for years and years over 20 years uh shot a mercenary because maybe he sort of had a crush or at least a fascination with Katya and because he had been essentially ingesting the pheromones of the insulid phasmid, <laughs> right? That there's like a suggestion from the phasmid that it essentially like poisoned the mind of this. And so that's what, that's what the murder was, right? So if, if you think of the murder as the main plot, right? As really what the story is about, then 90% of what you experienced was a red herring that then just at the very end gets you sort of where you're going to, the actual center of the mystery, which is why, again, I think this is kind of like an excuse to get to know the city and the history and the islands. Um, 
uh, were people frustrated by that? Like, what do people think of that? I mean, I don't know if resolution's the right word, but yeah. So, the, I mean, there's another bit, right? Before, before you get to that, what, what, the confrontation with the Hardy with Boys the is that before or after? I'm I'm forgetting now. It's before, it's... right? It's a it's a confrontation with the mercenaries and the Hardy Boys, where at that point, you and the Hardy Boys are sort of on the same side. So. That's the bit that frust maybe frustrated me more because I think the phasmid I just kind of thought this is just you know it's gone off on a you know magic realist uh, derive and you know it's it's tying things up at this point. But so I tr I tried to to finally be a good cop in that moment with the confrontation with the Hardy Boys, and I thought I'm not letting the fascist mercenaries you know in their drunken drug-induced stupor shoot union members and totally screwed everything up um, in the kind of most fantastic... I think five or six of them die, the Hardy Boys. Same thing um, for me. Uh, okay. I was kind of wondering whether I'd like really gone off the rails in my playthrough. You can apparently successfully have only mercenaries die. Like, apparently you can make it so that, you know, the union members are all saved or maybe one gets injured or something. And I think the first time around, I had a lot more left over by the end. And this time around, I tried to do the same thing just out of a sense of like, I don't know, neoliberal humanitarianism, let's say, is what I was role playing. Um, you know, they can't be good human capital if they're dead. Uh, but, but I was unsuccessful to the extreme. Roger, I, what about you? Um, with with uh, I sucked. I died, and I I uh, I almost died. Uh, in terms of like the actual final uh, confrontation, the with the mercenaries in particular, not the final confrontation with the revolutionary. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I know that. Um, what's her name? I think everyone, but uh, I think all of the Hardy Boys died in my in my walkthrough. I'm trying to remember, but like I I was not successful at all. Um, can you can you die in that moment? Is that possible? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I didn't die in either of my playthroughs. I think you can. I think you can fail and then have to reload. Right. Did you get oh, shot right. though? I did get shot, but I had the Me I too. had the. Um, body armor on so it, it was fine did you have so wait since you had the body armor on did you have a recovery period following it in yeah. which, and did you have a limp for the rest of the game that caused you to go slower because that's the state I, I was in right i think so yeah i think that's what i thought yeah. yeah i think that might be sort of universal that's just part of the game sort of resetting itself for the final act right right interesting I mean, I, I had this moment of terror where after I decided to like stand up to the mercenaries and then saw the hand-eye coordination skill check and thought, I didn't even know there was hand-eye coordination. I must <laughs> have no points in this. This is going to go really, really badly from yep. here on out. Um, but I felt like that, I felt like that for me is the, was an ending that, that made sense. You know, there's the final confrontation, you know, 
I wasn't expecting what came after with the the trip to the island and the Phasmid. Um, and I really don't know what to make of it, but I feel like that's quite fitting for this game. Of it to leave a kind of bizarre set of kind of unresolved things towards the end. Yeah, I'm really there's... fascinated. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Roger. I'm just really fascinated by this question of what this game is. Because, you know, at the beginning, you know, there's this whole question, is this sort of gritty social realism? Is this a mystery? Is this a, is this a game about Revenchal itself? Is this a game about, like, you know, is it just funny that we have moments like, um, uh, uh, the sort of the, the nothing that appears in the church, right? Um, or, or the phasmid itself, or, um, you know, the sort of the strange sort of things that are gesturing towards particular psychic abilities, or maybe not. Is this, is it just in and of itself magical realism? Because like, it's interesting to think about, I've always thought of magical realism. And maybe this is a, maybe this is a sort of, narrow view of what magical realism can be but like i i've always really sort of thought of magical realism as being you know it's essentially a realist sort of situation and and we're putting in a bunch of weird stuff in it so it's more interesting but ultimately this is about a sort of realist story so how did y'all read this this story and, and this question of what what is happening like what is actually the story if there is one. I mean, my take on that, Roger, which I think also relates to that question of what even is this game, is that part of what's central to the game is in fact making it so that what passes for a resolution or maybe just a conclusion in the story doesn't have that quality of resolving things in the way that a detective story might like bring justice or might make like you know the law the legal apparatus the policing apparatus coincide with justice and rectifying things right instead what you get is a series of like narrative frames that don't quite coincide so there's the detective story which is about a dead body but then there's also the political conflict and that overlaps but also there's this kind of like adjacent stuff that doesn't necessarily concern you, right? Like your job, in fact, is not at all to resolve the union and shipping company conflict, right? You can get involved in that and entangled in that and almost have to, but that's not what you're going to resolve. So there's this whole big story that's just to the side of you, but that's important. And then there's also this apocalyptic story that involves like a whole in existence that you could imagine, you know, this is a game that came out of a role-playing scenario. You could imagine like a game master, a dungeon master running things where the protagonist is in fact dealing with the apocalypse, right? Not with the detective. And the detective, you know, is actually just an NPC, right? You could imagine mm -hmm. a whole different thing. You could run the same exact set of events, but from that perspective where you're just investigating this whole in existence, right? Mm -hmm. um, which I think from one reading of this game, this world only has maybe 20 years left to exist. <laughs> the entire world, in fact, will not exist in a certain amount of time. That hole is getting bigger and it's going to suck the universe into a void. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, one thing that flashed while you were talking about that for me, Christian, was that is that weird moment where you're dreaming and you're actually talking to the body itself and the body's talking about decay and death and the inevitability of death. And um, it is really interesting uh, as somebody who notes how sort of the mystery genre comes out of the gothic genre too right and um this this real this this way that certain stories like the holmes story like um you know procedurals sort of use um really use these kinds of uh, you know the, the police really are there to kind of put back together a whole in reality right which is death right right this kind of like let's let's put a meaning on this death and and uh, clean it up pretty fast and put somebody in jail so that it's all neatly tied up. Not just death though, right? But also the frayed connections, the interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. death tears yeah. up, right? Like that's yeah. that's often what a detective, a good piece of detective fiction can do is like it it opens up into this like larger social network and it says, look, we can repair this, right? You don't have to have a detective to do that, but often that's what detective fiction is about is like fixing that hole, but the holes also in the community. And I'm, and I'm thinking this is a total random, like aside, but like, I'm thinking of recently the HBO show mirror of Eastwich where very much that is not what is happening. (laughs) Right. Like it's not about her putting anything. They keep saying, you're the thing that holds this community together. And she kind of does the, the Kate Winslet character, but also not at all, yeah. not at all. This is a place of, of despair. And you're talking about, you know, going back to this question of the apocalypse happening in 20 years, you know, it's almost as if like in that space and in Revenchal, I think the, the bigger problem isn't necessarily that some giant, uh, black hole is going to erupt in the middle of the world. It's that they're going to have to persist in this shitty world forever. And it's just going to go on and on and on. There's going to be revolutions. There's going to be deaths. There's going to be, um, you know, struggle and, and, and pain. And it's just, the it's almost like the only thing worse than death is life. <laughs> you want to jump in there? <laughs> so, I mean, I think, uh, so I was thinking a little bit about not whether the only thing worse than, uh, than, than death is life, but basically the whole game is pointless, right? Um, the whole game is pointless in terms of a, like a bourgeois notion of, you know, being a detective and solving the crime and, and so on. You basically solve it by accident. And it's the ghost of the past revolution lying on a dirty mattress, shooting people out of a window because he thinks he should, because he's high on phasmid pheromones, right? Like there's no like logic to what's happened. Um and also, you know, you were too hungover to notice that this body had been shot in the face, which uh, kind of astonishes me looking back because lovely Kim was looking over your shoulder helping and somehow you missed this. But all throughout 
the characters you meet and so on, and they talk about this failed revolution and how it's had no effect and how everything's terrible and, you know, the kind of political situation. Whereas there is this, you know, deranged communist militant who has created the storyline with which you then try and play through living in this kind of bit of the island that you can't get to until you get to that point. I kind of, I, you know, I quite like that, you know, whatever you've done, whatever you do throughout your playthrough, whatever happens, it's not to do with you, right? Right. You know, it's there is other stuff going on. And I, I quite like, you know, one of the things that bothers me about video games often is that everything surrounds you and what your character does, right? Like, there are so few games where you get a sense that this rich, detailed, billion polygon model around you has a life beyond you, right? You know, you go to a city and everyone's there to sell things to you and offer you quests and whatever it is. Whereas in this really, like, you don't really matter. You know, you're this kind of pinballing, like, idiot that smashes up his hotel room and you can, you know, you can make some of that better or not or, or so on. And so for me, like, the one moment that was interesting for that is the moment of actually trying to make a difference and I fumble the pistol and shoot someone in the face and then everyone else dies and you think the one bit where you could <laughs> do some good you like totally screw it up right yeah. um but what it left me thinking is like yeah everything's going to end in 20 years right but like what's going to happen to the union members you know the wild pines disappear or at least in in my playthrough they run they run away and there's not like really a sense of what happens next. Um, but it's a world where you kind of, you want to know, right? Like I want to know what has happened to people afterwards, you know, where they've gone, what they've gone on to do, but also that there, there's a kind of irony, right? The like, well, I, I can't remember, I don't know if you got this from talking to the, the, the deranged guy, but that he shot the previous union boss so like he's been shaping the history of the neighborhood without knowing what he's doing because he he's just kind of looking through the barrel of a a gun and shooting people but this kind of sense of you know everybody nobody quite knows what's going on and what's happening and that's you know it's grim and brutal and and difficult but it's quite a kind of compelling like messy real world albeit tied together with phasmids right <laughs> I, I like that i like that there's like two things there one is that not only are you not the center of the world which is interesting too right because even you know if you're the center of the world there's a kind of presumption that you you're like whole undivided unified self right you're a coherent self and part of what's interesting about this game is its mechanics revolve around not being unified right about being a collection of attributes that are at war with one another so that you're basically what your personality is is just a set of warring voices right it's like bactini and polyphony in the best sense this is actually one of the complaints i have in the review i wrote uh is that i really do wish they would have used more voices because i think it would have been really fun in this final cut version to hear different voices playing off of one another instead of having one uh, voice actor voice so many different voices, which for me actually got a little monotonous. Um, and I would just read it faster than he would speak. Um, but so there's that aspect, right? Like you're decentered, you're not the center of the story. There are bigger things happening. And in fact, at the end, you as a player are probably gonna be more invested in thinking about you know, I wonder what's happening to that one union guy. 
that's hanging out on the stairwell the entire game. Like I wanted to know what his deal was and what he was going to be doing in a little bit. Uh, or with the daughter of the bookseller, right? Like what's her life going to be like when she's an adult? Like I wanted to know what her life was. Um, but not just that, but also time skills, right? Like you get the sense of the present as really part of a longer stretch of time. And I think actually that's where the cosmic stuff isn't just like sort of thrown in there for something fabulous or something like strange, right? There's some of that. Some of it is definitely like, you know, some folks that have watched a bunch of David Lynch movies and wanted to pay homage to it, which is fine. We've all been there, I suppose. Uh, but some of it is also just like, that cosmic sense of indifference towards a specific moment of time, right? That sense that like this moment of time, the insulin phasmid says this to you if you get into a conversation with it, right? Like your lifespan, you know, feels like a minute to me basically, right? Like I don't exist in the same way you do my sort of existence and the stimuli and my enjoyment of sucrose and whatnot. Um, it's just on a different scale of life. Um, that's almost geological rather than biological. That's, you know, about deep time rather than, and you could say that's anti-political or post-political or like maybe makes politics look small, but the flip side of that is also reminds us that like, there are these politics that stretch over decades or centuries that are about systems that are big, like capitalism, right? That just sink into the ground and structure our existence so deeply that it's easy to forget that there were political decisions and movements that put them in the place or challenged them in the past. And it's so strange that all of those things happen like at the same time, right? There are these different scales that are intersecting in this moment. The phasmid is in the same space and the same time that you are, but the scale is different. And so like, and so, yeah, like, it's 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 fascinating to see that um, it both says like what you're doing is meaningless in terms of its uh, in terms of its scale, and yet you're both there. And so like it's like two um, two scales are kind of intersecting with one another. Two political contexts are kind of intersecting with one another in that moment two stories yeah but, but also what i quite like is the 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 shooter the you know the 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 person you finally want to accost or whatever it is um you know he's living on a different time scale too right you know he's mm -hmm. like the stories mm -hmm. of the world war Two soldiers that go out into the jungle or the, an island and don't hear that the war has ended is there someone who you know he's both ideologically driven for the was it 40 odd years he's kind of lived on that island on his own mm -hmm. but also with the phasmid but one of the things i quite liked about his bit of the story is he was a his role was to be attached to a revolutionary unit to ensure that they uh, remain true to the people um, and you kind of have this moment of you know he's not attached to the RCN uh, is it the RCN whatever your main character's police force is called um, but you know he has shaped you in quite profound ways right um, 
but there's you know there's this kind of holdover yeah holdover politics that's operating at a different scale um and you know who's holding you accountable you know there's these internal voices and, and debates and so on but you know there isn't you know there's kind of echoes of the past coming through in in various ways right yeah and it's it's worth noting too with that revolutionary soldier the reason he's still there right the reason that he's sort of on this kind of vigil is because he flipped up right like he got scared and ran away when things got heated up when the conflict really hit fever pitch and he's felt guilty about it ever since and is trying to in a certain sense redeem himself you know against like this revolutionary backdrop and so the sense of like having just like messed up and like failed at something and trying to like feel trying to find some way not even to redeem yourself but to repair the damage you've done i mean that's something that he shares with our main character with harry you know is that sense of i have made a mess of things what do i do with this mess right and there's a political dimension but there's also just like an ethic and an ethical and interpersonal dimension as well there of like what does it mean to recognize that parts of your life are messy and then try to talk through those things because that's what you're doing in this game you're talking through a mess of a city and a mess of a life or maybe a bunch i of wonder like I, I i really resonated christian with that that word repair that you used because it's it's so fascinating to think of what is it like on the one hand, is is there kind of an egotistical element to that, right? That 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 he or that Harry can repair anything, right? In this in this slew of different voices and, and messy politics, um, and I think it's there is a real check on one's agency. That's that's a, very much a part of this game, right? Where like where where you're there in the beginning. And it's almost like as, as you go through the game, you realize just how little you're able to do in this place, <laughs> you know? And I, I wonder if that's not like one of the, if there is a kind of message, it is that one of the limits of the individual and the importance of like the social, the collective, these networks of groups and of people that if anything is going to get accomplished, it's going to be through working together. Because I mean, there is like an optimistic way of reading this game, which is that it seems like the union is successfully demanding a transformation of the shipping industry in Revachol, or at least in Martinez, into essentially a cooperative profit sharing structure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, which on the one hand, like, is just me getting caught on like, an element that like strikes my nerdy Marxist fancy. But on the other hand, like if you think about it, it is quite an optimistic element that structures aspects of the game because, you know, the the union boss is kind of scummy and is like perfectly set up to look scummy uh, in his own cargo hold. Uh, but he's actually steering the, the leftist ship in a decent direction, if you think about it. And I also think overlaid on this is a kind of, you know, the game is also, you know, it is, I think repair is a good way to look at it because it's also about, it's about both individual and collective mental health, right? Mm. It's about anxiety. It's about depression. It's about 
how we try to do something within a world that is you know the odds are against most people right you know whether it's you waking up as a pretty much a waster of a cop with these kind of dark thoughts that are so dark you can't even look into them at first of like this relationship and what happened and you know there's a kind of it deals with issues in ways you know I, I know mental health has been dealt with in games before right but like there's something about this of you you get a real sense of of the character's pain and how he's trying to deal with things or make connections with other people in a way that is you know deeply messy but also quite sensitive in a way right um of the da- like that people are like whether you're in a in revishol post revolution or under capitalism today like people are really damaged right and it's a kind of game about damaged people trying to do some people trying to do good some people not and the union storyline is an interesting one right like there's still social change happening yeah um and there are still people who are trying to do things collectively you know in the kind of smoldering ashes of previous attempts to do that which you know i kind of The, the, for me, that's the politics of this game, right? Is I'm always frustrated when I talk to other people on the left who are like, oh, I don't like this example of social change because it's like not pure enough. Mm-hmm. It's like messy. There's like, you know, religion is involved or like different social groupings or like some of the demands aren't quite right. It's like, that's never going to happen in Revishaw, right? Like it's a mess. Yeah. But there's, there is a hopefulness in there, I think. And I would love to see more political small p political games that deal with that like the mess and kind of chaos of of politics in the real world right absolutely um, with or without phasmids right i'm struck jamie by like how easy it is to lose sight of that in this game to to like i had totally forgot about the whole shipping story completely you know and it's it's very fascinating to me to like think about what is it that on the one hand keeps us you know there is an optimism for that but it's a very um contextualized optimism right it's a you have to like you have to really sort of uh think about uh a lot to get there and to like and to like keep the faith and like all of this stuff and it and it and it it strikes me to like to like that it's it's important to think about on the one hand what gets us what is it that keeps us um working to make things better for ourselves and other people you know and 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 how do we especially in moments like this you have this game that's so messy and so complex and you have this little bit of hope in the in in one part of it, right? That it's so easy to forget, um, you know, what does that say about any of this? I don't know, it's interesting. So I, I guess I have one more kind of reflection which I've been thinking about and like wasn't sure whether I was gonna say in the podcast, which is this game reminds me a lot of Spec Ops The Line if you've played this game in, in lots of ways. But I mean, it's obviously a really, really different game, right? Because what I liked about Spec Ops The Line is you could play it without realizing it's a political game, right? You could just play through it and you could do your thing. 
you know you could shoot people in the face or, or or whatever it is but it finds a way to use the devices of a first person shooter to give you the space to reflect on that if you want to right and in lots of ways i feel like this game uses the role playing point and click and dialogue devices as an opportunity to do that reflection if you want to do it you know the internal monologue is something that like i keep going back to and thinking about of like you know you can go down those really dark paths if you want to about his own mental health or you can steer away from it or you can argue with different bits of yourself or you could you could play through as a ultra neoliberal and you know shake people down right is like it does what i think i think for me like it is a very good example of politics in games because it doesn't force you to do any of these things right it doesn't make you do politics but it plays with those dynamics in a way that like is really refreshing and like i know that i will think about this game over the coming week and it will still bother me in different ways and i'll talk to friends about it and i think that's what political games should do right like they challenge you if you want to you know to 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 kind of do those yeah. things it's almost the sort of uh political equivalent of emergent narrative right there's like emergent politics in this game in a sense that rather than have a political message what it does is allow you to sort of think through the implications of specific political decisions right which can change over the course of the game right you could theoretically go from one political position to another you could potentially be persuaded right and while i think it would be maybe a little overly optimistic or naive to imagine that this game's going to convert somebody from political position X to political position Y. I do think what you're left with is something like a sense of the way in which your beliefs, your commitments turn into actions and what kinds of actions those might be, but also some friction so that no matter what, you're never completely comfortable with any kind of one set of political axioms or something right and so you have to even if you do stick to it right like i don't think you know playing this game didn't not make me a socialist right or like you know uh it sort of reaffirmed aspects that even when i was playing through like the neoliberal version but right it also made me have to kind of recommit to certain things i held and think through okay why why is this egalitarian angle the one that I normally go with? Why why wouldn't I want to just be this hustling figure um, that sees everybody as units of human capital? Uh, you know, so it does it forces you to ask those questions, right? Um, rather than providing you with an answer. Wow. Wow.